Welcome to the Nations Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. We're going to read the Word of God today. Is that okay? Why don't you stand on your feet with me reading from John chapter 5. We're going to go to the Gospel of John. Who loves the Word of God? How many of you are so grateful for it? You know, it's, it's just changed my life. If, you, if you're not a Bible reader, you're new to the faith today, or maybe you've come today and you've never uh, um, experienced God as real for yourself, I want to say this to you today, that we're going to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus into your heart. But a big part of your journey from then onwards is to journey with the Word of God. The Word of God is God's conversation to us to reveal Himself to us. Amen? John chapter 5, it says this, After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda. Say Bethesda. Having five porches, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. I know there's a strange manifestation right there. Now a certain man was there who had been, who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise up, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Can we give Jesus a big shout of praise for an incredible passage of Scripture? Accounting for this man's freedom. Grab your seat. Grab your seat. So here was Jesus breaking all the rules again. Very naughty, Jesus, healing people on the Sabbath. How many of you know Jesus liked to disturb the religious? More than that, more than liking to disturb the religious, Jesus likes to disturb our sense of order. He likes to disturb our sense of putting Him in the box. What was more disturbing about this account in John chapter 5 is that He disturbed me and told me to preach this sermon that I'm about to preach. I hope that you don't leave the church after I preach this. Because this, this, this account in John chapter 5 is incredibly challenging. And Jesus likes to pull us out of these packages and these controllable logical boxes that we may have put Him in. And He challenges us to think beyond the norm. What I like about this is that Jesus goes to this place called Bethesda. And He meets this man who's for 38 years have been dealing with an infirmity, dealing with issues, uh, and you can imagine what this would be like for him, and, and he, he meets this man right where he's at. And if there's anything that you can glean from the Gospels, it's simply this, that Jesus loves us so much that he meets us where we are, but he loves us too much to leave us where we are. And so he has this conversation with this guy, and I, I want to encourage you today <clears throat> to read all of the Gospels, in fact, all of the Bible through the lens of love. When you read the Bible through the lens of love, you're more likely to be able to straddle the, the, the two truths of acceptance and correction of Scripture in the same breath. And one of the most uh, uh, crucial things that you need to understand when we read Scripture is to, you need to insert yourself into the passage. Make sense to you? So we're going to do that today in John chapter 5. Now, think about that for a moment. We're going to sideline ourselves. One of the most crucial things that determine the quality of our lives is the quality of our relationships. Do you agree? Four of you agree. 
It's not the quality of your Netflix subscription. It's not the quality of your gym membership. The quality of your life predominantly is determined by the quality of relationships. Hello. Human relationships form the basis for most of the songs that are written, most of the movies produced, most of the topics of conversation, most of the pain you experience, most of the joys of your life. Hello. Most of the things pertaining to your life and the quality of your life is directly linked to the quality of your relationships. So the statement that the quality of your life is determined by the quality of relationships is proven every day in all sphere of life. For me as a church pastor, I can tell you now, I deal mostly with people, right? And most of the time, people's issues are because of the other people in their lives. So if the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships, then the quality of your relationships is determined by the wholeness on the inside of you. How many of you know that we bring our baggage and our issues to every relationship that we have? I like to think that the people in my world have all the issues and all of the baggage. How many like to think that way? Me and, oh yeah, most of you, come on. We like to think that most of the people in our worlds are the ones with all of the issues and all of the baggage, but I want to suggest to you today that we all have issues and baggage that affects the quality of our relationships, therefore it affects the quality of our lives. Hello. And so across the next few weeks, we're going to explore the conversations out of Scripture that would help us get whole in the area of, or for the sake of, our relationships. And we're going to do this across all our campuses across the next few weeks. And friend, let me tell you this, without, this is straight out facts. This is a time of the year, every year in church, when we deal with wholeness, particularly in the area of relationships, where people don't come to church. This and building our future season, because we deal with finances, right? People just don't come to church. Why? Because it's a season to get real with God. The season get real with God. Um, you know, I am just so tired. I've been pastoring for 18 years, and I'm so tired of the enemy robbing people of their full potential. Because the best you is, is a whole you. And if you're not whole, then the enemy has, he has currency to rob you of the best life that you can live in him. And so today, I want to speak to you. That was a big setup, wasn't it? Today, I want to speak to you on the thought, breaking up with broken. Breaking up with broken. I'm about to ask a personal question here, okay? How many of you have ever been in a relationship that wasn't good for you, but you found it hard to break up with that person because you are almost not sure what life would be like if you were to break up with them? I'm, I'm the only one with a hand up. <laughs> Come on. How many of you have been in a season in your life where you, maybe you, you, you've been with someone, but the thought of giving up what's not good for you and what that would mean was scarier than the thought of having that which is not good for you in your life? Come on. You know? And this dynamic in John chapter 5 was what was happening here. Jesus asks one of the most intriguing, he has one of the most intriguing conversations with a man who's been suffering with a debilitating condition for 38 years. So if you think about it with, with me, he goes to a place called Bethesda. There is a man, man-made pool there, and there's like five colonnades or five porches. And I've actually been to Jerusalem where they think is the historical side of this. And it's probably a room two and a half times the size of, of this auditorium. This room is an area two and a half times this, this auditorium. And you can imagine hundreds and hundreds of sick people congregate around this pool. Everyone there is sick, disabled, infirm. And, and, and it's, if you can insert yourself in the story, this would have been one of the saddest, most depressing places to find yourself in. And yet this is where Jesus goes. And everybody there is 
somehow in some level of discomfort is not a judgment thing, it's just stating facts. And you can almost, if you can imagine yourself there, that there's almost like, you know how you walk into a collective attitude of woe, W-O-E? Instead of like, sometimes you walk into church, there's an, there's an atmosphere of faith. But you can imagine walking into the, this, this area called the Pool of Bethesda, there would have been a collective air of woe, despondency, dejection, disappointment. Now, if you want to talk about supernatural things, what was going on here was entirely freaky. Occasionally, right? The reason why everyone that was sick and disabled and, and infirm would gather around this pool was that occasionally and at certain times, an angel would come and stir the water. And as he stirred the water, the first person to kind of just pop themselves into the water would get healed. Now, I don't know what that's all about. That's altogether freaky, but it's in the Bible also. Right, we've seen some freaky things over the last few weeks at church, but I tell you what, this is like freakier than the, all of that, right? So here is, I don't know what's happening here. The, my, my best explanation from, from reading um, scholastic work is that it, it's, it's possibly a, a prophetic act or, uh, that, that foretold of a time where, where a Christ would come, where healing and freedom would be available to all of us, amen? So, so here is this, this account where Jesus is coming to this place, the pool of Bethesda, right? And then Jesus says the rudest thing to this man who's been unwell or infirm for 38 years. He says this, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. So Jesus knew this guy had been suffering with this for 38 years. He says this, do you want to be made well? I can almost guarantee if Jesus lived today, he would have failed his pastoral care unit at Bible college. Because that is not what you say to someone who hasn't been able to walk for 38 years. Do you want to, do you want to be made well? If I, if he was my pastoral care intern, I would say, Jesus, Jesus, come here for a sec. Come here, come here. Don't say that to people. Come on, are you, are you following me so far? Right? This is, this is everything you shouldn't do. I would have debriefed that the bejeepers out of, of this whole account with Jesus. Because like, Jesus, that is not how you talk to someone who's in great need. And for 38 years, you already knew that he is infirm, unable to walk. Have you considered his feelings, Jesus? But how many of you know that Jesus didn't come to consider your feelings? He came to change your life. And so here is Jesus. He asked him this question and it was intentionally provocative. Do you want to be made well? Because, sir, you've been in that condition for 38 years. Do you really want to be made well? And you would think that, Jesus, what, what, are, you, what are you asking? Of course he, he wants to be made well. He's been infirm for 38 years. Well, if you think of the context for a moment, for 38 years, this was pre-NDIS. It was pre-Centrelink. It was pre-Medibank Private. I feel better now. Right? It was pre-Medicare. It was, it was pre-social support of, of, of any kind. He didn't have... Caseworkers of health and allied health professionals dis discussing the best care plans for him. This was pre any of that. And for this man to survive in the streets of Jerusalem for 38 years, he would have learned some tricks. I'm getting real quiet now. He would have learned how to survive on the streets of Jerusalem for 38 years with that same brokenness in his body. He had a well-rehearsed excuse season after season why he wouldn't get healed. 
He would have quoted a reason, but it was an excuse. It says, so, so Jesus says, do you want to get well, brother? And you would have expected a man of 38 years being infirm to say, of course, Jesus, would you touch my life? I want to be made well. But instead he says, oh, um, uh, you know, yeah, good question, Jesus. But um, when, when the angel comes and he stirs up the water, someone else who's, who's less disabled than me, someone else who's less broken than me, someone else who's got a better shot in life than me, someone else who's handed a better deck of cards than me in this game of life gets to go in first and then, you know, they get healed and I miss out on my wholeness and healing. In the old King James, John 5 verse 6, it says, He saith unto him, Will thou be made whole? That word whole was the part of the original translation, and it's simply this, that, that, that Jesus was asking him the question, do you want to be made whole, not just healed in your body, but whole in your life? The question was very provocative because, friend, to be made whole, you've got to be prepared to break up with broken. Why are you all so quiet this morning? Hitting home real, isn't it? It did for me when I was preparing this, this message, reading this text. When Jesus said to him, do you want? To be made well. Do you want to be made whole? What Jesus was asking him was, Sir, are you prepared to break up with 38 years of brokenness that you've been dating? Are you prepared to actually leave this life behind and step into a new life? Do you know what it means if you were actually to be made whole? Because your body is not the only thing that will change. Your whole life would change. He wanted this man to consider. He asked this question intentionally because he wanted this man to consider whether he was prepared to transition from his life being a beggar to now actually getting a job to contribute to society. Come on, oh, this is real. Because it's a holistic life transformation that Jesus was interested in. And, and, and he was asking this guy to consider what your life would be like after 38 years of being known as the guy that possibly would have been begging in some street corner. He would have been, his identity would have been that guy who was for 38 years infirm, begs at the, the, the street corner of such and such and such and such. He's that guy. We know him. And people would have known him year after year, would pass him by, probably give him some coin. He would have been begging for arms. How, would you know what it's like to break up with that life, to step into the life that God has for you. Do you want to be made well? Was a question that confronted this man, which essentially asked him, do you, do you want to or are you prepared to break up with broken? Now you see, breaking up with broken is harder than you think. Breaking up with broken, because when you truly break up with broken, there's actually a cost. There's actually a cost. You need to literally leave behind the old life and step into a new life. And that is a cost that so many of us are not willing to pay because deep down, our carnal selves know that to break up with broken, that actually means there's gonna be some kind of a cost. There is a strange kind of fear of the unknown that comes with breaking up with broken. Jesus wanted to confront this man with this question because when it comes to breaking up with broken, there's a quiet fear in all of us that thinks, who am I if I am not X, Y, Z? You insert what that is. Who am I? Who am I if I'm not that trauma victim? Who am I if I'm not that broken-hearted woman? Who am I if I'm not that angry man? Who am I if I'm not that porn addict? Who am I if I'm not that resentful person? Who am I if I'm not that abused victim? Who am I? These have now become my identity, and I don't quite know how I'd be if I were to break up with broken. Jesus was confronting this man about what it, because I don't know if you would agree, it's better the devil you know, isn't it? 
Man, you guys are getting too quiet for me now. Hello. It's better than the devil, you know, isn't it? The familiarity of brokenness feels more comfortable than the unfamiliarity of wholeness. It's better than the devil, you know, because that's how we've always talked to each other in our marriage. 20 years we've been married. That's how I always talk to him. 18 years I've been raising kids. That's how I always deal with my kids. The unfamiliarity of wholeness freaks us out, and we'd rather stay with the familiarity of brokenness. How many of you know Jesus wants us to break up with broken? Come on. The best you is a whole you. I need you guys to talk back to me. I know this is, come on. And I think, let me drill down a little bit more into this. So here is this man in John chapter 5. For 38 years, he had lived a certain way. And we're also secretly afraid, I think, of how life might be like for us if we were to break up with broken, because it could possibly change how people are going to be treating us if we actually get our breakthrough and become well rather than continue to struggle. People might not give us the kind of attention or treat us how they used to. Hello. I mean, why do I really want to be made well if, 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 if being on Struggle Street actually means that the church pastor sends me food, people call me, they follow me up, get real now. Hello. Why would I actually want to be made well if being unwell has certain said benefits attached to it? Why do I want to be broken up, to break up with broken when society and the church included has inadvertently rewarded me for having a long-term affair with it? You know what's the primary reward of brokenness? When we have that as our identity, when we have that as our persona, when we have that as our narrative, the primary reward that we get is actually pity. Are you guys getting real quiet now? The primary reward we get when we stay in a place of brokenness is actually pity. I mean, what what am I going to do if God actually sets me free from this? Do, Do you know Jesus for 38 years, pity has helped me earn a living? What am I going to do, Jesus, for 38 years, pity has actually being the primary reason why people drop arms or coins into my cup. But breaking up with broken actually means that we break up with pity. The pity that we get from other people and the pity we give license to ourselves to give. The man at the pool of Bethesda had 38 years of chances to be made well. And year after year, the angel would stir the water. And he goes, oh, I, I, I kind of want to, but oh, oh. Oh, too late. That person can get there. He'll, uh, 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 uh. And today, Jesus comes not just to clean the cobwebs of his life, but to kill the spider. The very reason, come on, are you out there? The very Jesus didn't come to drop a few coins into his cup. He came to confront this man and say, hey, sir, it's time for you to break up with broken because 38 years of this is enough. 38 years, you need to be free from your excuses. You need to be free from the addiction, the 38 years of pity, the 38-year affair you've had with brokenness. Jesus has come to break that up in his life. Life will give us challenges, but we choose to stay dysfunctional. The reason for that is because dysfunction and brokenness actually give us permission to be pitied either by others or by ourselves. And for 38 years... 38 years, that's what he had. That's what he had. Jeffrey Bernstein, a a psychologist, says this in one of his articles. He said, self-pity is actually highly addictive. Pity is actually highly addictive. When we get it, we get a dopamine hit. It kind of gives us that that high 
momentarily that medicates the pain of the real issues in our life. And so for 38 years, this man wasn't prepared to confront the real issues of his life. Come on, you guys are getting real quiet. And year after year after year, he would have the well-rehearsed narrative, this excuse, oh, someone else gets in the pool before me. I want my, I want, uh, but uh, too late. Year after year after year, and that pity that he gets would be this dopamine hit that self-medicates the pain of what he's truly going through. It may temporarily alleviate the pain, but it does us no good in the long run. Come on. Why do you think people move from one church to another, one pastor to another, after the pity runs out? Right, right. They, they get pity from you, for, for, and, and then after after a couple of years, no change. Uh, uh, this pastor over here starts to challenge them, and, and when they no longer get the pity, they move to this other. He's the real, the real pastor. I'm coming to him. Right. I get a lot of pity from him. Then after a few years, still no change. Right. I'm gonna leave that church, go to these other pastors over here. Why is that? Because self pity is addictive. We keep looking for it, and we try and clean the cobwebs of our, of our brokenness. When Jesus comes to say, "Come on, why don't you just break up with brokenness? Because you're, the best you is a whole you." Jesus doesn't even dignify this man's answer. We read in John chapter 5, verse 6, it says, When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered, Sir, I have have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up while I'm coming. Another steps down before me. And you would have thought that Jesus would have said, Oh, really? Wow, that's, that's, that's really hard, isn't it? Because that's what you teach in Pastoral Care Skills 101 at Bible College. Whenever someone shares a struggle with you, the first recommended pastoral response is to sympathize with them. Don't dismiss it. Secondly, don't change the subject. Thirdly, just validate their feelings. Fourthly, earn trust. And fifth, use soft tones. The five points of Pastoral Care 101. Right? He failed that unit at Bible College because Jesus says this, rise up. You don't say that. To a lame man for 38 years, rise up, take up your mat and walk. Break up with broken. This life ain't good for you. I know you think that it's good for you in the moment, but 38 years of this, enough. It's time for you to break up with broken because Jesus is not interested in pitying us. He's interested in making us whole. I need a resounding amen from somebody in the house today. And when he says to him, do you want to be made well? He's saying to this man, do you want to break up with broken because to be breaking up with broken means you need to break up with pity. And the second thing about breaking up with broken is that you need to break up with your excuses. You gotta break up with your excuses. This hit different for me because when it comes to breaking up with broken, I'm full of excuses. Throughout the journey of our marriage and, 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 and it feels like my whole adult life, I've been journeying this journey of wholeness with different, you know, people that have helped me and, and, and spiritual mentors and all of that. And there was a season in my life that I refused to go and speak to anyone, get counsel, get any input about my dysfunctions because I just kept blaming Chrissy for all of my issues. I know you find that funny. But I kept blaming her for all of my issues. I kept blaming the ministry for how hard my life was. I, I kept blaming God for my son's disabilities. 
I kept blaming everybody else for the insecurities and fears and inadequacies that were like demons tormenting me. I called them reasons, but they were excuses. God spoke to me some years ago out of John chapter 5, and He says, are you prepared to break up with broken? Because you'll never truly step into all that I've called you to until you're prepared to break up with broken, and that means breaking up with your excuses. Because you see, I liked my excuses too much because if I stayed dating with my broken, dating my dysfunction, people expected less of me. I get to get away with a mediocre life. If I kept living on Struggle Street, no one's going to call me to serve on a roster. Everyone leaves me alone. Nobody expects anything of me. They give me pity, but they won't respect me. I'm not the guy that people think of when they think about sending or promoting or letting people come under them. No, they pitied me, but they did not respect me. I was the guy that refused to break up with excuses. I called them reasons, but they were truly excuses. And if I stayed in that mindset, people would leave me alone. If I stayed in that mindset, people expected less of me. Breaking up with broken is hard. Why? Because it actually means that you have to leave that life and step into the life that Jesus is. Oh, it means that this guy, for 38 years, been a beggar. Now, actually had to go and get a job and be the one to put money in to those. Come on, are you out there? It actually, breaking up with broken for those 20 years of being that victim of that particular trauma actually now means you actually get to become the one that ministers to others. Come on, are you out there? It actually now, be, be struggling in your marriage for 15 years, get the breakthrough now, it actually means that you get to minister to other couples. That are, come on. But for as long as you live on Struggle Street, everyone leaves you alone. Nobody expects any more from you. But I want to suggest to you today that the best you is a whole you. It's time to break up with broken. Who needs a resounding? Come on. I need a resounding amen. Because breaking up with broken means that there will be changes to your life as you now know it. And I know it feels big. Sometimes when you actually think about it, it's actually pretty scary. What my life would be like if I were to actually get free and whole from all of the things that I, I kind of want to get free and whole from. But if you can think about it for a moment, if you've been talking about your issues, that same issue for the last 25 years, what will you talk about if you actually get free tomorrow? <laughs> Hello? You know that co the same coffee you have with that same people that want to speak into your life and it's the same issues you go through? 25 years. Now, if you're set free, what are you going to talk about? It's almost, I don't know how to be. I am that trauma victim. I am that abuse victim. I am all of that. That was my narrative. That's my identity. That's who I am. What am I going to talk about if I'm now free? There is a cost. But every day we stay broken is another day we forego our destiny. Jesus came to this man after 38 years and said, no more. 38 years, no more. You know, heaven rejoiced that day when Jesus came because he loved this man so much and met him where he was at, but loved him too much to leave him where he was at and went after him with this one provocative question. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to break up with broken? And from that moment on, all of heaven rejoiced when this man actually rose up, took up his mat and walked. And as much as heaven rejoiced, you also need to know that with every rejoicing, there's a mourning because... As awesome as his encounter with Jesus was, there was nothing Jesus could do to give him a single day of those 38 years back. They're gone. 
every day you date broken, you forego a day of your destiny. Every day you have an illicit affair with your dysfunctions, you forego another day of your destiny. And there's not a single day that can be redeemed back to you because time cannot be redeemed. 38 years he was prepared to play with a spider while getting everyone just to clean a few cobwebs and drop a few coins into my cup, would you, sir? 38 years. And as much as he got free from that day and he had his whole life ahead of him from that day forward, and it's awesome, we rejoice. The tragedy of not breaking up with broken is that you cannot redeem a single day wasted dating that stinking thing that you can't. Come on. 38 years. 38 years. I want to say this to somebody today, and this is going to help someone, some way. Maybe it's no one in the room, but online. Don't keep staying with your dysfunctions just because you've invested so much of your life forming a relationship with it. Getting real quiet now. I did for so many years. I know what it robbed from me. I know what it robbed from my marriage. I know what it robbed from my ability to think life-changing, life-giving thoughts. This statement is going to bless you like, it ble- like it's blessed me. It's simply this. Bless your tomorrow by breaking up with broken today. Yeah. Bless your tomorrow. Just bless your future. Bless your future, kids. Bless your future grandkids. Bless your future relationship that you don't have yet, but one day God is going to entrust you to you. Bless your tomorrow by breaking up with broken today. I, I, I want to I speak this to, to, to married couples. The marriage you want is actually right in front of you. The marriage you want is actually right in front of you. Chrissy and I know what it's like to spend years. See, we spent years of having affairs with our dysfunctions while longing for an awesome marriage. You've got to break up with one to have the other. Come on. We long for this great marriage, and yet we refused to cut off the affair with broken. We wanted to hold on to it. We thought that maybe, just maybe, if we can kind of just work around it, would somehow, ta-da, miraculously have a wonderful marriage. And so we had marriage mentors. We had people speaking to our lives. And still, year after year after year, we'd have these horrendous fights, this incredible conflict, this heartache, with this pain, until God spoke to me in John chapter 5 and says, Ken, the marriage you want is actually right in front of you. Are you prepared to break off the affair with broken to have the marriage that you want because it's right in front of you? Come on, are you out there? So many of us, we, want, we say we want the life that God has for us, but we're not really prepared to break up with this third party that's been, come on, that's been stealing from our lives. Some of you say, no, PK, you're wrong. I, 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 I don't want it in my life. Really? Well, if we sat down in two minutes, I can give you the solutions and ways to break up with that, and you will give me back four hours of excuses why you won't. You don't truly want to break up with broken, you actually secretly like it. Because if you would truly hate something, you would flee from it. How many of you have like a phobia of rats? Like you just hate rats. How many of you like, like no, I'm not talking about like, oh, I just, they're just not pleasant. Like you really can't stand even the thought of a rat. What if I told you the guys backstage actually have a cage with, with a rat in it? Yeah. The natural response to something that is truly repulsive is to get away from me, right? But when you're still flirting with it, you quietly still like it, kind of, maybe. Getting real quiet now. This 
question, do you want to be made well, was a very important question in theology for those now here on earth. Because we often think to ourselves and get disappointed. God, why don't you set me free? God, why don't I get the freedom in this area? God, why don't I get the breakthrough in this area? When all along, God is saying, why don't you break up with broken? All that I have, this abundant Zoe life, is your inheritance. But you keep sleeping with the enemy. Today, my prayer for you is that you will get to see the life that God has in front of you. This man in John chapter 5, 38 years, could not have conceptualized what life would have been. 38 years. I don't know how old he was. He might have been born in, with that infirmity and had been living with it for the 38. Maybe it, he had it when he was 10, maybe 12, maybe 15, maybe 20 years old. I don't know. But for 38 years, you can imagine that could have been a big chunk of his life. He almost doesn't know what life would be like without it. And yet Jesus shows a vision of what that would be like to actually rise up, take up your mat, and walk. The marriage that you want is right in front of you. We've got a marriage retreat. Enroll, register for that, deal with stuff. Talk about things you've never talked about. Oh, brother, we've been married for 38 years. It's going all right, 38 years. It's a lot of fights. Oh, brother, we've been, that's how we always talk to each other. It's, you know, we're a bit too old to change. No. You're never too old to break up with broken. And every day you date broken, you forego a day of your destiny. I'm going to bring this to a landing because you guys are getting real quiet and your tolerance for this sermon is already waning, I can tell. Musicians, you can join me. If the thought of breaking up with broken is too scary, too hard because you're wondering what next, what will it be like if I actually take the steps to be free? Here's where the life-giving part is. And I have experienced this in my own life. You may feel like it's uncertain if I were to actually respond today to saying, God, I, I, today is my day. I want to have a John chapter 5, infirm man at the pool of Bethesda moment. I really, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with the anger. I'm done with the resentment. I'm done with the toxic thinking. I'm done with, with, with the, 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 the screwy way lens that I see my life. I'm done with the resentment with my mom. I'm done with the brokenness. I'm done with the addiction. If, if that is your prayer today, it, it might be pretty scary for you because the, the question is, God, what next? What, 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 what happens from here? It's a, it's a very valid question. That's why I think this, this man, 38 years infirm, kept allowing other people to hop into the pool with him. For 38 years, he hung on and clung to the edge of the pool so close to his freedom and yet so far. If you're hesitant today and wondering, God, well, I, I, I want this, but I'm a little scared as to what life might be like. I want to I wanna say this to you today. Jesus is waiting for you at the other end of your breakup. I thought that would get an applause. Jesus is going to be waiting there for you at the other end of your applause. You break up with broken for greater intimacy with Jesus. You break up with broken to hear what your destiny and calling is. This man broke up with broken and Jesus was there to hold his hand as he rose up, took up his mat and walked. He then began to evangelize the entire city. People asked him, who healed you? Because you're that dude for 38 years we've known. You're sitting in that corner and you're that guy that kind of held onto the edge of the pool, weren't you? Who, who, who healed you? I know it was the Sabbath and Jesus is going to get in trouble, but come on. His life 
from that moment on, began to testify of the goodness of God. And there's so many testimonies in this place that have yet to be told because you're continuing to date your brokenness. Right across this room today. I know this was a pretty hard-hitting message and some of you are going, I mean, I'm not coming back next week or the week after or the week after I'm coming back for the Christmas season because that's really fun. Because they'll say something like good news, great joy, hope, something like that. That'd be awesome. I'm coming back to church for that. Here's the thing. Whatever it is that God has prepared for you tomorrow, you got to break up with broken today to experience it. It feels like a big price to pay to deal with the things that have held us back. But I want to suggest to you today that you'll pay an even greater price if you don't. You'll pay an even greater price if you don't. What is the price of never stepping into freedom, never experiencing the Zoe life, never experiencing this abundant life that God has for you? What is the price? Don't be silly enough to pay a price far too great. It'll cost you so much more to not get your marriage whole. Come on. It'll cost you so much more. It'll cost your kids. It'll cost the generations after you. When you come on, I need a resounding amen from a church today. I truly believe that Jesus didn't just come to save humanity, but he came to make us whole today. Can we give Jesus a big shout of praise? Thanks for listening to the Nations Church podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com. Thank you.